We have been in a series of messages the last few weeks called Faith and Feelings, and what we have learned is that uh, not only are emotions a part of who we are, but they have a big impact on our ability to do great things for God. They affect our influence for Him and to bring positive change in our world. And we've been learning about specific emotions, and today we're going to be learning about depression. We know depression is a big deal because many people suffer from it. Statistics tell us this, that there are 17.3 million adults in America that struggle with clinical depression. That's 7.1% of our population. There are 1.9% of children in our country who are dealing with severe depression. Just hearing that, we understand that Many people are going through it, and it might be that you're doing it today, that you're going through it, or maybe you have in the past. I know that depression is something very personal to me because it has become a big issue at certain times of my life, and it becomes very controlling in who you are, and it affects your ability truly to move in your life, to do things with your life. So it's so important for us today to learn about it, but to also learn how to overcome it. You know, when you're depressed, you're in this pit, and y'all, when you're around really happy people, it's annoying. Do I have a witness out there from anybody? I mean, it's just like you're depressed, you're around these people, and it's so good that there are people who can be happy and joyful, and, but it just puts a light on the condition that we're in. But God doesn't want us to be in that condition. Not only do people in our country suffer from it, but we can look in the Bible and find people who were going through it themselves. And one of those people was a man named Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was a prophet of God, and things weren't going the way that he expected them to go, and it really affected him. We read this verse, it's found in Lamentations 3.20, where he wrote this, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. He was struggling with depression. A good place for us to start today is defining the term. On your outline sheet, you see a definition of depression, which means this. It's the act of depressing, which is pushing us down. And then we see the results of that depressing. It's feelings of sadness, gloom, objection, and being downcast. In fact, that word downcast connects right with Jeremiah because that's how he felt. I love this definition because of the first part of it, where it says this, that it's the act of depressing. When something is depressed, it is pushed down. There is weight, and that weight causes an effect. Uh, one understanding of the word depress is this, that something is pushed down below its surroundings. It would be like a roadway, and there's a heavy vehicle, a heavy, heavy object that's on that roadway, and it's been there so long that the weight of it pushes the road down where there's an indention where it's sunken from the level of what is around us. And that's really what depression is if you think about it, right? We feel weight in our life. It pushes us down, and we're below the line. This roadway, this line, this is what we consider to be healthy emotional behavior. But we find ourselves below it, sunken down. We're depressed because something has pushed against us. Another way to think about the word depress is what it does to us. It's defined this way. To depress is to lower in force. 
In other words, when we're depressed, it lowers our ability or our power to influence. It's to lower in vigor, which means this, it, it lowers our enthusiasm about life. It means to lower in activity, which means this, that we just don't want to go and do anymore. We would just want to do nothing and have no energy to do that. It causes us to be in this dull state where we really aren't thinking clearly. And the problem with that is it begins to cause us to feel like we have lost our value. Those people who are depressed really many times feel like they have no value in life. And the reason why is because what they were trusting in to give them value hasn't worked. It hasn't worked. They've had some expectation in their life that I, if I live this way or if I do this or this happens, then everything's going to be great. But what happens is there are events in our lives that come against that belief that if this is what happens, I'll be happy. Those events come against that belief and we find out that what we believed isn't true. So what I was trusting in, it doesn't, it's not, that doesn't work. The weight of that came against me and now I feel like that wasn't it. So how do I respond? I get depressed. My value isn't that. Now I don't have my value anymore. So how is it that I can find value again? And that's the importance of today. When you look at Jeremiah uh, in the Bible, Jeremiah, as we just read, and we're going to read that verse again, contained in a passage here. But Jeremiah, as a prophet of God, was going through it. And it's so interesting to think about what was happening because Jeremiah, as a prophet of God for the people of Israel, wanted Israel to be strong and to be powerful and to be incredible. And they weren't. His expectation was that if Israel is in a good condition, is powerful, is a healthy nation, then we're going to be happy, that I'm going to be happy because of Israel. Well, God allowed some things to happen, and Israel wasn't in that condition. And because he was trusting in that for his sense of value, he was trusting in that for his happiness, he was crushed. He was crushed over it. He couldn't understand why God would allow that to happen. And now this expectation, it had been defeated. So I want you to hear, under, have that in your mind as I read this scripture, especially the first portion of the scripture. Now what's going to happen is you're going to learn that he was depressed. You're going to learn why he was depressed. And you're going to learn how he overcame depression. So y'all, today you're going to hear the answer to overcome your depression. That, doesn't that sound exciting? We're going to figure it out and see a way in which we can not be depressed, but to be healthy in our emotions for God. Listen to the scripture Jeremiah wrote. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. This dude is bummed out, right? So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. What did he hope from the Lord? He had hoped from the Lord that this would be a strong nation, that this would, that it would be awesome. He had hoped for that, and it didn't happen. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassion never fails." They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. 
The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. So to the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Two times we hear the word hope. In one occasion, what he had hoped for didn't work. I hope the Lord would do this, make the nation great, and here we are in this terrible condition. I hope for that it didn't work out. And then he turned around toward the end of the scripture and found his hope, not in that, but in the Lord, in his relationship with the Lord. I want you to just have this, I guess just il this illustration, this picture in your mind about how this works. Imagine there's a car, and the car obviously has wheels and tires, and the tires, when they're full of air, they come against the weight of the car and are able to, to keep the car up. Now, the weight of the car is pushing down on the tires, but as long as there is air in the tires, it lifts the car up. It's not depressed because of the weight. But what happens is, if there's a leak in the tire, the air starts going out, and it becomes depressed, pushed down, and the weight overcomes it. One time, had all the air, was strong. Couldn't be overcome by the weight. But now we find that it's depressed because the air is gone. The air of our life is something called hope. It's hope. It's what we hope for. For example, if I hope for something in life to happen that's very worldly, if I have this in my life, if people like me in my life, then everything is going to be great and I will have an amazing experience here in this world. That's what I hope for. And as long as everything is going well, it's fine. But then there's weight pushed on that belief. My belief is as long as people like me, then everything is going to be good, but then people stop liking me. People start saying things about me. And now because they're doing that, what I'd hoped for isn't working that expectation and that belief is a hole in the tire. It's the hole. Our hope begins to seep out of the tire. So what happens? The weight of the experience pushes us down and we deflate. Isn't that what depression is? We feel deflated. Isn't that basically what it is? We feel deflated. So then what is the solution? Y'all, this is so incredible to me. It just seems so simple, but it's just incredible to me. The solution to that is to plug the hole. And here's how you plug the hole. You have the right expectation that my life is not about what people say to me. Not, it's not about what happens to me. My life is about having a relationship with God. It's having a personal relationship with Him. Uh, we were doing uh, the podcast yesterday, the Everyday Matters podcast, and we're talking about depression and got into a discussion about the mind and how there are three different parts of the mind. And there is one part of the mind that is the emotional part of the mind. All right, it's basically the center of our emotions. And that part of our mind asks a question. And that question is, you know, this is, I know it sounds kind of, he's just getting spiritual, all right? But this is just true. Here's the question. Am I loved? That emotional center of your brain, of your mind, asks the question, am I loved? If I'm loved, I feel good. Everything is awesome in life. And that love can push against anything that comes against me. But if I don't feel loved, I'm compressed, I'm deflated. It changes my emotions. Isn't that interesting? 
Because we, what we've learned through this series is there are three primary emotions, right? There's the emotion of anger, there's the emotion of fear, and there's the emotion of love, which is the healthy sense of how we feel and see ourselves because we're loved by someone. God loves us, right? God loves us. So therefore, if I know, am I loved? Yes, I'm loved by God. Well, what's the expectation? It's to have an awesome relationship with him. That's the expectation. Well, what happens when all these worldly things come against me? Well, they don't have anything to do with my relationship with God. So bring on the weight, my brothers and sisters, because I'm going to be inflated. You're not going to deflate me. So what does that mean? If I am deflated, I started living for a wrong expectation. You're thinking, I'm, again, I have preached to myself this entire series, and it really is bumming me out. Okay, now I'm getting depressed, right? I struggle with this. And I can tell you every time, and I, there have been some clinical things too, that's a whole other story, but every time I've just regularly dealt with depression, I can promise you every time I have placed my hope in something else to make me happy other than my relationship with God. Every single time. I've lost my hope. So therefore, I've got to find it. Now, I've been sharing with you uh, the last couple of weeks, especially, about the effect that emotions have on us and that we have five different parts of our life that make us up. So let me quickly go through this and talk about how depression has, it, it really changes these parts of who we are. First of all, it's emotionally. We just talked about that. On your outline sheet, fill that in. All right, so we're looking at the effects of depression emotionally, that we experience fear, anger, worry, and sadness. Now, the reason why I experience fear is because what I trusted in, I'm worried about fear and worry go together. I'm worried that it's not going to come about because it didn't happen before. So it happened one time. It's going to happen again. So I'm living this anxiety and fear. Another part of that emotion of anger is I'm angry at whatever it is that shattered what my belief was. That whatever it was, I'm angry that that's what blew it for me and caused me to feel this way. I'm angry at it. And then when I figure out, you know what, I can't do anything. It's, there's no way this is going to help me. Then I just feel sad over it. It's like, what am I going to do now? That's how I feel. Second part of our life. It is the mental part of our, our life. So mentally, we have unrealistic expectations about what has happened, what is happening, or what will happen. Our expectations are all about what it is that we think. It's what we put in our mind. What I think about is what I believe. In my mind, this is what I believe is going to happen. And when it, again, is not something that is realistic, then it affects who it is that we are. Here's a third thing. Socially, we no longer enjoy being around others and we withdraw. Many people who are depressed or that I know this is exactly how I am. I will walk right past a bunch of people and go into my room and just sit there or turn on the TV and not want to be around anybody. That's, that's how I am. And many people are the exact same way. Their social relationships just fall apart because there's no desire physically. We begin to have problems with aching, eating, and sleeping. I also read a study from the National Institute of Health, which tells us this, that 64% of those people who suffer from chronic depression have a greater risk of coronary artery disease, 
which makes sense if you think about it because you're not active, you're not involved, or you're overeating or you're oversleeping, and you're in this condition where there is no exercise of your physical body, which causes you to have physical problems in your life. Here's something else. It's spiritually. We become preoccupied with self. This is what I want. This is what I believe was going to make me happy. Because it didn't happen, I try to find something else. It's because it's about me. I disobey God trying to find something else. Then I lose hope and I lose my desire to go on. Because those things that I keep trying, they aren't working out. So I have no hope. There's no hope for me. There's nothing that's going to make me happy. I can't be happy. I miss how people get. There's, I, can't be, there's just no, I can't be happy. So what, what does it lead to? I don't want to go on anymore. I've never heard of a happy person committing suicide. Have you? I mean, not from any kind of context related to our emotions. I haven't heard of that. Why? Because that's not what it leads to. But when we don't have any hope or we don't have this feeling, it's like, why should I go on? Well, let me tell you why it should go on. Because God loves you. Did you realize that stuff can't love you back? Have y'all figured that out yet? So in the middle of my mind, in the center of my emotions is love. And love is always about connection with someone else. If I'm trusting in something else for my sense of emotion, a job can't love you back. A car can't love you back. Your position can't love you back. Uh, You can go through all of these things. They can't, if you're doing something for your physical pleasure, you can't love yourself back. Doesn't that sound weird? Why? Because love is not about you, this kind of love. It's about a connection with other people. Somebody else has to be involved. And if you don't have it, you lose your will to go on. Spiritually, that's where you're at. I know what that feels like. In fact, when I got help, that's where I was. I had gotten to the point in my life where I didn't want to go on. I'd been struggling with things for quite a while, and many of you know I have some clinical issues that are going on, and something had just overcome me, and for months I couldn't get out of a depression. I was in the car one day with Jennifer. It was my day off. Obviously, I was depressed, and I said to her, I can't do this anymore. I just don't want to live. She immediately got on the phone, called my doctor. We went to the doctor. I was just hoping that he'd give me a magic pill to make me happy again. And that crazy dude, you know what he said to me? I'm afraid you might be bipolar and I might give you the wrong thing. So I am going to refer you to a psychiatrist. And I said to myself, I'm not a crazy person. So I threw that referral right in the garbage as I walked out the door. My depression didn't go away. And before long, my wife had made an appointment with a psychiatrist and said, you're going. And y'all, when your wife gets an attitude like that, you better go. But where did it get toward me? I, it's when I was here, during my ministry here, I literally did not want to go on because what I was trusting in for my happiness, it just wasn't working for me. And my relationship with God wasn't where it should be to help me overcome those things. I'm saying that because I know what this feels like. This is personal to me. And we can overcome it. Well, where does the leak come from? The leak comes from these unrealistic expectations. That's what we're about to start, uh, about to to learn about. And we're going to learn about some specific unrealistic expectations. Let me remind you of where they come from. They come from the mind. I expect something because this is what I think or what I believe is true. 
Therefore, my sense of well-being is dependent upon what I think becoming true. That's where this comes from. So what are some of these unrealistic expectations? Well, let me give you uh, three of them. Look on your outline sheet. Number, uh, the first one, it says unrealistic expectation number one. I will be accepted and not rejected. Everybody's going to accept me. Nobody's going to, you know, everybody's going to love me. Everything's cool. Nobody's going to reject me. This is the unrealistic expectation of acceptance. It's an unrealistic expectation because not all of us are going to be accepted by everyone. I hate to break the news to you today, right? I think we probably have all figured that out. But if you're living for acceptance, this is a big blow to you. I mean, I'm expecting this is how it's supposed to be, but I'm rejected. Y'all, we're not the only ones who were rejected. Jesus was rejected. Peter wrote this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. He's talking about Jesus. He says this. Jesus was rejected by human beings. That's what he's saying. Then he said this. You also... So he's talking about Jesus. Then he turns around and talks about us. You also like living stones. What does that mean? If I'm like Jesus, he was rejected. Guess what? I'm going to be rejected too. He went on to say this. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Which What that says to me is when, when these pressures, when these weights come against me, the reason why they're coming against me is not to deflate me, but to make me stronger. That's why God allows these things to happen. It's to make us stronger and have our faith in God. But many people live for that acceptance. And they can't get over it when people don't accept them. Bums you out. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't live that way? I mean, Jesus, because, you know, I keep helping these people, keep serving these people, and they just don't, some of them, they just don't listen to me. I mean, some of them did, but some of them don't listen to me. These people are trying to kill me. I've been healing these people. What's wrong with these people? Oh, I'm just so bummed out. There he goes to his room watching an animal, I guess. There's no television. So anyway, there he is. Aren't you glad Jesus wasn't that way? He went into it knowing this is what is going to happen. And the realistic expectation is that there are some people who will not accept you. It's just going to happen. But God always will. Do I have an amen about that? He always will. Second expectation, unrealistic. Everyone will agree with me and not ridicule me. This is the unrealistic expectation of peace. Jeremiah wrote this. I have, this is the first thing he said in this passage. I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. There was no peace. There wasn't peace between him and God because they had a disagreement. Now there would be because he turned around and changed his mind. But many times that we don't, we don't have peace with each other. We believe other people should agree with our point of view. And when they don't, they become our enemy or our foe. Listen to what the psalmist wrote. Uh, they wrote this, My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes, the people I'm not at peace with, taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? He's talking about himself. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope. What? Hope. 
He had lost, he's losing his hope. This is why I'm downcast. Then he says, put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. These people didn't agree with him about God and were taunting him about that. And here he is not at peace with these enemies. And because of that, he's bombed out. They don't agree with me. They're saying this isn't true. They're saying things. They're taunting me. They're saying bad things about me. Y'all, not everyone is going to believe the same thing that you believe. And you know what? If we're trusting in them believing in what you believe in for your happiness, it's not going to be good for you. I know uh, two brothers. They're not a part of the congregation here. I know two brothers. We're very, very, very close. Very close. Got in an argument, a political argument. One's a Democrat and one's a Republican. And haven't spoken to each other for months. Mad at each other. Angry at each other. Discouraged from each other. Won't even be around each other. They depress them or make them angry. Whatever it is. Why? Because we believe everybody has to agree with us. Let me tell you something. Not everybody's going to agree with you. All you have to do is to look at what's going on in politics right now. And what's happening? We're in an emotional mess. I mean, this isn't a political message, nor do I want it to even seem like it is. But we're in an emotional mess because that's how we feel about each other. And that's where we're finding out happiness. I'm not going to be happy unless you take my position, unless you agree with what I agree with. In a context of leadership, you might say, well, that doesn't really... I haven't experienced that, you know, in political view. I can look at it in a sense of leadership. You know, for me, everybody should agree with me about what we should do. And the more influence you have, the more you trusting in other people agreeing with you goes out the window. I mean, it's just gone. Because not everybody's going to agree with what you have to do. But this has been a struggle for me. If people haven't agreed about what it is that I felt that we should do, I'd get depressed over it. Typically, because they would start saying things to other people about what I believed. These two things go together. Depression. Air's going right out of the tire. My hope's going. Let's look at unrealistic expectation number three. I'll experience pleasure and not pain. This is the unrealistic expectation of happiness. What this means is, I believe me feeling good about my life is me to be happy all the time, and I will be happy when I do things that feel good, when I do pleasurable things in my life. Here's reality. There is not always pleasure. There is, all, there is also pain. True? There's pleasure and there's pain. So anytime I have pain in my life, then I've got a real big, I mean, I, man, I don't, I'm, have to, I'm wanting to have fun. I'm wanting to go do this. I'm wanting to do that. That's, I'm, I enjoy this. I enjoy that. I'm able to do this. I'm able to do that. And all of a sudden, there's pain in my life, and now it's just blowing that out of the water. You know what happens when, when that, that, that occurs in us? This is, what, this is what happens. We try to control the pain by adding another pleasure in our life. I'll give you an example of it. All right, Pain comes to my life. It hurts me. It doesn't feel good. So therefore, I overeat because it feels good to eat more. And let me just be a personal example. I talk about Reese's Cups and Diet Coke all the time. Diet Coke's just, it really, it, it makes the other part go away, right? I mean, just kind of average that. It really doesn't. A lot of Reese's Cup experiences in my life have been because I have been depressed because it just tastes good. Y'all, chocolate is bait to me. Do I have a witness out there for anybody? It's just bait to me. But you overeat. Why? Because it tastes good. It's pleasurable to you. And what you're doing is you're trying, you probably heard this, but you're trying to eat your pain away. That's what you're trying to do. 
people who struggle with alcoholism and drug abuse many times is for this very reason. I have pain in my life. I want it to go away. I'm trying to find a pleasurable experience. So therefore, this is what I do. Some people are this way. This is another thing for me. You buy things. It feels good to buy things. So I've got pain in my life. So I'm just going to put my mind on other things and I'm going to buy things. And this is how you know it's coming. You keep driving through the crazy parking lot of the car dealership. Do I have a witness out there from that, right? Keep driving. I'm just going to buy it. For me, it's sneakers. I'm a sneakerhead, right? I buy tennis shoes. Like, it feels good to buy tennis shoes. I'm just like, they're everywhere in my house. You're thinking, there is something emotionally wrong with this person. Because it feels good. But it doesn't take the pain away. And did you know pleasure always lasts for a moment and never goes on? Pleasure is a temporary emotion of our life. It doesn't last. But that's what we're trusting in. And here we find ourselves in a bad condition. There's a process that we go through. This is how it happens. And I'm, I love this because I'm just going to share with you how it happened with Jeremiah. And he gave us a scripture. It's the depression pattern. That's what I'm talking about now. It's the depression pattern. This is what he wrote. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. He used several words in that passage that talked about how he moved through this that finally led to his depression. First word is the word wandering. On your sheet, you see this. What is wandering? Our minds get off course and we, we fall victim to the unrealistic expectations. This is what I believe is going to make me happy. I wander in my mind and that's what I begin to believe. Second thing, it leads to affliction. Affliction is we experience rejection, ridicule, disrespect, or pain. All of those words come from the unrealistic expectations that we just learned about a minute ago. And there might be other ones that you have. So I'm experiencing these, this affliction. This is how I feel because these things aren't happening. Bitterness. It leads to bitterness. We experience disappointment because of unmet expectations. And we do not move past the hurt. We keep thinking about what has happened over and over and over again. And we become bitter because of what has happened to us. In fact, that bitterness leads to gall, next thing on your sheet, which is anger. I get angry at what happened or what someone did to me to shatter my belief about what would make me happy. I get angry. And my anger is not helping anything. It's not making things better. So then I just... Have self-pity. That's the next thing. I have self-pity. I begin feeling sorry for myself because all this stuff happens. Poor, pitiful me. And now because I start feeling, because it's all about me, I start feeling this way. Where does it finally end up? Depression. I'm depressed. That's the process. Are you wandering? All right, is that where you are? You having these unrealistic expectations? Are you feeling afflicted? You're feeling rejected, whatever it's causing your problems. You might be in the bitterness stage. You might be in the gall anger stage. You might be in the self pity stage, or you might have made your way to depression. We have to stop the process. So, how do we do it? I'm going to share with you how to do it. I'm going to share with you how Jeremiah did it. I've been talking about this every week in every emotion. The way our emotions change is we rewire our minds. We think. We feel, we act. You're probably sick of hearing that if you've been here. We think what we think leads to our feelings. We think what is our beliefs, right? I think, I believe this is true. Our, what I think leads to how I feel, and how I feel leads to how I act. It's just the way it works. So for me to change my feelings of depression, 
then I have to change what it is that I think. Our senses are involved in our, in our emotional life, in affecting us. Uh, our, you know, we taste, we see, we smell, we touch, we, you know, all the different emotions. There are two primary emotions that have to do with changing our thinking. One is seeing and the other is hearing. So I see, I notice what's happening around me. I notice other people are living for this or that or whatever it is. I see things. I'm, I'm, I'm observing their life. Then I hear things. I hear people tell me this is what life is about. So I hear it. So when I see it and I start listening to it, and if that's the only information I'm bringing in my mind, I start believing it. That's how I start believing it. My mind's getting rewired my, wired that way. I'm seeing it. I'm listening to it because I keep, that's the only thing I'm hearing. I begin to believe that. Now, the way to keep that from happening, if it's not good thinking, is to see and hear other things. This is what has happened for people who found themselves in depression often. The only thing they're bringing in their head is what is worldly and not godly. So the way to change that is to start seeing and thinking, hearing things that are godly. So now I start observing other people who are living more of a godly lifestyle. And what I notice is, is those people who are going through tragedy or difficulty or pressure or weight, they have joy in their life even though they're going through that. What's up with that? So then I start, okay, if that's the case... Then why is that? Then I'll, then I'll start listening to and hearing what it is that God is saying so that I can be strong when these come, these situations come in my life. The problem is, though, we just listen and see the world instead of listen and see God. So here's how you overcome depression. You start looking and listening for God. That's how it works. You start looking and listening for God. This is what Jeremiah did. Let me read the scripture again. I well remember them, the them, what he's remembering are the worldly things that he's living for. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. That's what it led to. And then he said, this was a deliberate action. Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. I was depressed because I was thinking about this. And now I'm going to think about this and now I have hope which takes my depression away. It's a deliberate action. And this I call to mind. We have to bring things to our mind. What do we bring? We listen to what God says to us. Jesus taught people. It says this in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Isn't that a great statement? Don't you want to feel set free from the junk in your life that keeps holding you back? Jesus said, this is what it's about. This is how you live your life. This is what it's about. There are other, the, the apostles wrote things that we find in the Bible. The, the prophets wrote things that we're learning from Jeremiah. Uh, the kings and people like that and Solomon and David. And all the, we hear all this instruction that we find in the Bible. Right, this is what I want to encourage you to do. Right, this is the solution. Again, I'm getting back to what Jeremiah said. This I call to mind. You cannot call it to mind unless it's in your mind, which means you need to memorize the scripture that combats the false beliefs and philosophies of this world when they come. Because when you do, air is coming to your tire. It's going to lift that weight right off. 
but you have to call it to mind. So I want to give you some things to call to your mind. These are some scriptures I would encourage you to memorize, right? These things I call to mind. Here's the first truth. God loves me not because of what I've done, but because of who I am. I'm not loved because of the, what I've accomplished in my life and whatever, or I'm accepted, whatever. That's not what it's about. It's because of who I am. So these are the scriptures I want to encourage you to, to memorize that connect with this. God loves me. Some of you already know this scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the who? The world. That's you. That's me. God loves me. What's at the center of my brain and emotional experience? It's love. Am I loved? Yes, my brothers and sisters, we are because God loves me. Here's another scripture. He created me. Psalm 139, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. We looked at the scripture a few weeks ago. God made me. God didn't make a mistake when he made me. He purposely made Mike Wilder weird. He created him in that way to be able to do what he does in our uniqueness. So if people are coming against us and saying this about us or that because of what we do or who, whatever... God created me this way. Here's another scripture. I am imperfect. This is, you're probably thinking, well, this sounds depressing. I am imperfect. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's encouraging to me. You know why? Because I'm not the only one who's messed up. Everybody else is messed up too. I need to remember that. But here's something else I need to call to mind. Even though I've messed up, God still forgives me. Look at what it says. He forgives me. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will forgive me. Scripture says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's a really important one. First one is he forgives me. Here's the second thing. He's forgot about what I've done. You know what my problem is? God forgives, for, forgives me, but I don't forgive myself. Any of y'all have that problem? I mean, I've prayed about it. God's forgiven it, but I can't stop thinking about the stupid thing that I did, the boneheaded thing I did, how I affected other people in a negative way, and I can't forgive myself. That's when depression comes. If, listen, if God will forgive you, don't you think we ought to forgive ourselves? By the way, what you did put Jesus on the cross. He died because of what you did. If God can forgive you for killing his son, don't you think we ought to be able to forgive ourselves? Y'all, that's pretty strong right there, is it not? We need to forgive ourselves. Here's another truth. God created me for a purpose, and it's to love him, love the, unlo the lovable, and the unlovable. God created me for a purpose, to love him, the lovable, and the unlovable. Listen, everybody is lovable, but people say there are people who are unlovable. That's just not true. I need to love everyone. God has a calling for me. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. My purpose is not to be accepted by you. My purpose is to help you deal with the issues of your life. My purpose is this, Matthew 28. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, this is my purpose. I'm just to love God. 
center of my emotions, right? I'm to love God and I'm to love other people. That's my purpose. It's not for you to, to get you to love me. It's for me to love you, no matter how you feel about me. But here's another truth. I will be joyful when I am mistreated because I know their negative behavior is a cry for help. God has set aside this moment to use me as his agent of love. I mean, how often, I, this is personal to me again, I want to be accepted, I want people to say nice things about me, all of that stuff. If people mistreat me, man, life is a mess. And it just should be assigned to me in their mistreatment. That person needs help. Do you know why? Y'all, this is street. This is really strong right here. The reason why they need help is because they don't have hope. If they had hope, they wouldn't be treating me that way. Because for some reason they think they're treating me that way is going to make them feel better about their life. And it just doesn't work that way. Read this final scripture. The prospect of the righteous is joy, but the hopes of the wicked come to nothing. Now that, that's the last scripture on your sheet, but I want to share one other. Just, just, I'm almost done, y'all. In just a second. It's about hope. Jeremiah said all of this stuff. Later on, we hear more about, about what he said. In Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah 29, verse 11, this is what he said. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We have to go away with this because this is the thing that's going to give us the hope. Hope comes from our belief that we have a better future. Did y'all hear that? We have an awesome future. We have an awesome now because we experience the love of God. But no matter what happens to you, you're going to experience prosperity and you're not going to have any harm in your life. Why? Because if you're a believer, you're going to be in heaven one day. And you know, oh, this is really awesome. In heaven, there is no weight. How's that? There are no pressures that are trying to put you down. There are no pressures that are trying to depress you. Why? It's all love. Our problem is we live for how I feel right now, and I find that feeling from what is happening around me. And that's why I get depressed. I need to, I can have hope and experience joy all the time. We, we talked about this last week. There are people who will be dying on their deathbed, and one person is just mad and angry at God and just all this stuff. Even might even be claiming to be a Christian. I don't know. Feeling that way about God, and then there's this other person who's a believer who has joy in their life. And why? Because they know that this is a temporary life, right? If my hope is in living and to keep on living, that's an unrealistic expectation, That is living here. But you have a life that's eternal with Him. It's all about Him. So why are you deflated? Why are you depressed? It's because you're living for something that is sucking the hope out of you. And the weight is pushing you down. Plug the hole, my friends. Here's the expectation that you can, can have. No matter what you do, what you say, God still loves you. And you have purpose. 
And when we believe that and live for that relationship, we can push any weight that comes against us right away. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. What is it that God's leading you to do today? What is it? What a great message of hope. I don't have to be depressed. I don't have to keep living in my life not forgiving myself. After all, God forgave me. I can find something else to live for because these things are not working. I really believe that God is revealing to you through His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now to help you see this about yourself. So I want to encourage you to pray about it and to make a commitment to put His Word in your mind so that you can call it to mind when Satan tries to put you down. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word and your teaching. I pray, God, that it would be real and true to us. I pray, God, that as we face depressing days, many who go through this, I pray that we would know where it's coming from, and I pray, God, that we would put our mind and attention on you because with you, we always have strength. God, you're good to us. God, you want us not to be someone who's lost their power, someone who's lost their enthusiasm, someone who's lost their energy, which keeps us from doing anything. But God, to someone to be the power behind who we are, to give us enthusiasm and excitement to help bring change in the hearts and lives of people. Lead us to be that, God. Lead us to be that. And I pray this in your name.